All right, welcome back, Huda Thunkers. I'm excited, and do you know why? Ever since the beginning of this podcast back in January, I've been looking forward to writing and recording the Huda Thunket Fright Fest. That's right. For the month of October, all episodes will have one common theme, spooky, frightful stories. I've saved the most terrifying story for last. It'll be released Thursday, October 29th, just two days away from Halloween. Episodes will get progressively terrifying. To start things off, I decided to tell some lightheart, uh, lighthearted short stories about just how weird and absurd the Keystone State can really be. But who knows? Some of you may find these spooky. Let's get started. First, we're going to talk about the squonk. And, you know, Netflix has an original series. It's called Hemlock Grove. I like the show a lot, especially the first season. It's over now. that They finished it. Uh, the last episode aired years ago. But it starred Billy Skarsgård. He's the guy who played Pennywise in the newest rendition of Stephen King's It. And I think he does a great job. The show's not only scary, but the special effects are, you know, there's not much CGI. There's mostly, you know, real live effects. And it's pretty gruesome and cool. I like that. The show is about supernatural characters like vampires, werewolves. And I think there are some aliens involved by season three as well. And while this makes for good TV, if the... Creators of Hemlock Grove wanted to make a geographically accurate depiction of Pennsylvania's folklore surrounding its hemlock forests. The show would have featured the little-known squonk. <laughs> now, it should be noted that even though the show was called Hemlock Grove and the Pennsylvania state tree is the hemlock, I didn't see a single hemlock tree throughout the entire series. <laughs> Possibly because the hemlock is becoming an endangered species in Pennsylvania, due to the hemlock woolly algid, or the outages sujay. It's an aphid-like insect that covers itself with white waxy wool, uh, which acts as a protective coating for the insect. Infestations often start in large, mature hemlocks, but the insect also attacks and kills young trees as well. For me personally, that is probably the scariest thing I'll say this episode because it's, it's a true scientific fact. The mighty hemlock is dying. But back to the fun and weird and spooky stories from my beloved home state. The squonk, okay? Now, this is an actual mythical creature that was reputed to live in the hemlock forest of northern PA. It is grotesque, it, but it turns out to be pretty good representation of the residents of Pennsylvania quite well, as it's depressed, flabby creature that drowns in its own tears. <laughs> Although the earliest written accounts of the squonk was from 1910 book Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods, there are no records of the tale being told in Pennsylvania before the book's publication. The next written iteration from the 1939 book Fearsome Critters suggests uh, that the creatures had migrated from deserts to swamps to finally settle in Pennsylvania. As logging camps were continuously moving in the early 20th century, this could explain the creatures' migration to Pennsylvania. Unlike many mythological creatures, the supposed physical characteristics of the squonk remain unchanged from the original written account, which states, The squonk is of a very retiring disposition, generally traveling about at twilight and dusk, because of its misfitting skin, which is covered with warts and moles. <laughs> it is always unhappy. Hunters who are good at tracking are able to follow a squonk by its tear-stained trail, for the animal weeps constantly. When, when cornered and escape seems impossible, or when surprised and frightened, it may even dissolve itself in tears. That it was by William T. Cox, The Squonk, Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods in 1910. Later retellings included that squonks were slowest on moonlit nights as they try to avoid seeing the, uh, their own hideous appearance 
in any illuminated bodies of water. In addition to warts and moles, the creatures were given webbed toes on their left feet. Why the left foot? I haven't the faintest clue. The given species taxonomy, or the science, you know, quote-unquote scientific name of the squonk is the Lacrimacorpus dissolvens. It's made up of the Latin words for tear, body, and dissolve. These refer to the supposed ability to dissolve when captured. So that's the squonk, Pennsylvania's folklore mascot. And like I said, it couldn't be more fitting. I find that its depressing nature represents how hard Pennsylvania towns were hit by the decline of industrialized markets like Pittsburgh's steel industry and coal mining industries and so on. PA is smack dab in the middle of America's Rust Belt. If you look up a picture of the squonk, um, you'll see how gross the illustrations of this thing really are. But recently, Pennsylvania residents have been posting on social media, and it seems at least some people find it cute in some depraved kind of way. I put it as I uh, put a picture of the squonk as this episode's cover photo. I know not all um, platforms actually show the cover photo; they just show. The photo for the podcast itself, but I'm pretty sure on Spotify and Anchor and Radio Public, you can see the actual cover photos for each individual episode. Next on the list, very close to where I grew up, the Seven Gates of Hell. Now, as legend goes, an insane asylum once resided in a wooded area of Hellum Township. That's where mom lives now. And that burned down one faded night. Though many patients perished in the flames, many also escaped into the surrounding area where they, fo- ro- where they roamed free, wreaking havoc on the local community. Seven gates were built to trap the wandering inmates. The myth states that today only one gate is visible by day, though all seven are visible by night, and that any person who passes through all seven gates goes directly to hell. In reality, an insane asylum never existed in that area, and only one gate was built by some local doctor. The truth is that the land is now privately owned, and the people who own it and the surrounding neighbors do not tolerate any trespassing. They didn't stop my that didn't stop my high school buddies from going there one night with a bunch of girls. I never went, and I'm glad I didn't. Half of them got slapped with fines for trespassing, and I distinctly remember someone was wielding a shotgun, though it was never fired that night. The Seven Gates of Hell is just a fun thing for teenagers to try and see if they can avoid being caught. For the last legend of for this episode, I want to tell you about the Green Man. Now, this is one legend that turned out to be true. Uh, I was going to do an entire episode on the Green Man, but then found that his legend was much larger than his true story, and that's the one I'd rather tell out of respect for the man's memory. Residents of the South Park area of Pit- near Pittsburgh during the 1950s often spotted a strange figure walking along Route 351 at night. The figure was a man without a face who allegedly admitted a greenish glow. Locals were frightened by his shocking appearance and his nocturnal habits. The man, Ray Robinson, was born in 1910 and at the age of nine was out playing with his friends when they saw uh, a bird's nest in a large railroad bridge that went over Wallace Run in Big Beaver, Pennsylvania. Ray decided to check and see if any birds were inside the nest, but his friends wouldn't dare. A year earlier, in 1918, a 12-year-old boy uh, by the name of Robert Little was electrocuted to death by one of the power lines for the railroad. Ray and his buddies knew about this boy's fate, but that's what made the challenge of checking the nest seem so fun. However, this bit of fun turned out to be far too dangerous for them, and Ray... As Ray came into contact with one of the electrical wires and suffered severe burns on his upper chest, lost both his eyes, part of an ear, his nose, one arm below the elbow was gone, and the entire area around his mouth was disfigured. 
and although the doctors expected Ray would die, he survived, and in just two months seemed to be in considerably good physical and mental health. On August 16th of 1919, the Daily Times reported, quote, in spite of his of all his affliction, the boy is in good humor. Ray grew up and made money, making doormats and belts. He passed the time by listening to the radio. He liked being on, in the outdoors, but he only came out at night due to his disfigurement. For Ray, he the world was always dark, so pitch black nights didn't scare him one bit. He just came he just had to keep one foot on the road and one in the dirt, along with a walking stick to find his way, or else he would get lost. Ray often wore green shirts, and that's probably where the mysterious green glow legend came from and why he was known as the Green Man. However, most locals knew him as Charlie No-Face. Uh, I think the Green Man is actually somehow less offensive than Charlie No-Face. In reality, uh, Ray didn't emit a glow of any kind. He was actually a really nice guy who would chat with anyone who would approach him, though this did not prevent some passersby from treating him cruelly or the community from fostering ghost stories about his misfortune. Ray's legend was biggest around the 1950s and early 60s. During that time, teenagers would go out joyriding, trying to find the green man. Of course, some of the group of teenagers actually found Ray. Sometimes those who sought Ray out were cruel to him, but not always. Sometimes those teenagers would give Ray cigarettes and beer in exchange for taking his picture and hanging out with him for a little bit. Aside from his green man legend, Ray had a reputation for being a kind and social person because most of his life, he was all alone. And when he got the chance to interact with others, he enjoyed it. And because those who knew him said he was such a kind person who never complained about anything is why I decided not to add to his legend, but rather shine a light on the human behind it. So I want to do another honorable mention. This is a smaller one. <clears throat> so Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Dutch culture has these things called hex signs. And while I was looking up Pennsylvania folklore, I came across them. I've seen them all throughout my childhood. I didn't really recognize them as a thing specific to Pennsylvania, but it makes sense. I've never seen them anywhere else. There's these signs that are, it's like usually a white background and then like points coming out from the center of the sign. And they're called hex signs. Now, these circular signs from Pennsylvania Dutch origin that some conspiracy theories theorists think come from witchcraft because the word hex has origins in witchcraft. You know, like, I put a hex on you, I put a spell on you. But the word hex used for these signs simply refers to the number of points in the sign as they're, they're I think there's just like six points on them. So it's just talking about like hexagon, not like I hex you with a, with a spell or anything. So, sorry, that's my dog. His name's Rorschach. But that's all for this episode. Uh, but fear not, my dear listener. It was only part one. Digging into the weird and creepy lore that surrounds Pennsylvania, it quickly dawned on me that I would have to break this topic into multiple parts. Later this month, or probably next week, I will release Pennsylvania Folklore Part 2. Stay tuned, and I cannot wait to do all the episodes this month. Like I said, the most terrifying one will be released October 29th. And I hope you keep listening. I'm excited to keep recording. Thanks for listening, guys. Catch you next time. Thank you.